John chapter 12, verse 31. Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. This he said, signifying what death he should die. I'd like to speak to you on the attraction of the cross. God bless you. You may be seated. In the month of March, on Sundays, I plan to preach on the cross of Jesus Christ. Last Sunday, I spoke on the paradoxical way of the cross. As Jesus approached the time of his crucifixion, he prepared his disciples for his death. He explained that the way of the cross was like a seed that was planted in the ground. I want to review these verses this morning John 12, 23, and Jesus answered them saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. Jesus applied this principle in verse 25. He that loveth his life shall lose it, and he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. This is the paradox of the kingdom of God. That the only way to go up in God is to go down by humbling yourself. The only way to come into the kingdom of God is by dying to self-will and to sin. This hour that Jesus spoke of was the hour of the cross. He asked this question or prayed this way, Father, what shall I say? Save me from this hour, but for this hour I am come. He prayed, and as he did, John chapter 12, there was an audible voice that came from heaven. Those that heard it said, by some it thundered, and others couldn't understand it. Jesus said, this voice did not come for my sake, but for your sake. And then in John 12, 31, he said, now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. And then this verse, our text today, And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. Growing up in a Pentecostal church, I've heard this verse used as an invitation to praise and worship. But that's not what Jesus meant at all. I think we should lift him up in praise and worship. But the very next verse gives us context to what Jesus was speaking about. This, he said, signifying by what death he should die. I'll go back to this later, but in John 3, Jesus said, As, the, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, that serpent on a pole, a brass serpent, so must the Son of Man also be lifted up. Now, how could this be? How could death on a cross draw anyone to the victim of such a cruel death. Crucifixion was anything but attractive. Crucifixion was gruesome. I would say it was not the attractive cross. It was the repulsive cross. John 18 tells us that when Judas betrayed the Lord that there was a band of men and officers that came to arrest him. 
with lanterns and torches and weapons. They came into the Garden of Gethsemane where he prayed with his disciples. It would seem in this moment that Jesus was a failed leader. Matthew tells us that all his disciples forsook him and fled. Three and a half years of work and they all ran for the cover of darkness. Jesus had prophesied this, that the shepherd would be smitten and the sheep would be scattered. After his arrest, they took Jesus by night to be illegally tried by the Roman governor, Pilate, by the chief priest, by the Sanhedrin, back to Pilate, the Roman governor, who alone had the power to call for his death. The entire process of crucifixion was repulsive and gruesome. They bound Jesus, led him away to Pilate. Pilate found no fault in him. Pilate's wife had a dream where she told her husband, be careful what you do to this man. The Jews chose that Pilate release Barabbas, this convicted criminal, rather than release Jesus Christ. Matthew's account of the crucifixion and the events leading up to this tell us that they scourged Jesus and delivered him to be crucified. The governor had the soldiers come. They took Jesus into the common hall. And there was an entire band of soldiers there. They stripped his clothes off of him, embarrassing and humiliating him. Then they put a scarlet robe on him. They plaited a crown of thorns and pressed it down into his head. And blood came out of his scalp. They put a reed in his hand, a mock scepter, and they told him, and they bowed down their knee to him, and they mocked him. And they said, Hail, King of the Jews! You don't look like much of a king now. They spit on him. They grabbed the reed out of his right hand. They hit him on the head with that reed. They mocked him. They took the robe off him. They put his own clothes on him. And led him away to a place called Golgotha. A place of a skull where they would put him to death. Matthew summarizes it by saying they crucified him and parted his garments. Gambling at the foot of the cross for his robes. And sitting down they watched him there. They had his accusation written over the cross. This is Jesus the king of the Jews. The thieves that were crucified with him one on his right one on his left. At first both of them reviled him. They mocked him. And those that walked by saw this man. Maybe they knew who he was. Maybe they did not. But they mocked him and they wagged their heads. Because this must have been a terrible man. To die such a cruel death. They said. You that destroy this temple. And you say that in three days you're going to raise it up. If you are the son of God. Come down from this cross. The chief priest mocked him with the scribes, those theologians, and all the elders of Israel. They said, he saved others. Himself he cannot save. If he's the king of Israel, let him come down from the cross. And we will believe him. He trusted in God. Let him deliver him if he will have him. For he said, I am the son of God. The thieves also cast the same in his teeth. From the sixth hour to the ninth hour, there was darkness over the entire earth. John told us that he cried out, I am thirsty. 
And then about the ninth hour, he cried out, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, as if to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He shouted in a loud voice, it is finished. Then he yielded up the ghost, hung his head and died. His mother stood there at the cross watching her son die. Isaiah 52 tells us that his visage was marred. The New Living Translation says his face was so disfigured. He seemed hardly human. And from his appearance, one would scarcely know he was a man. Isaiah said it like this. Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? He shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of the dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He is despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He was brought as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before his shear, her shearers is dumb. So he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who shall declare his generation? For he, out of the, he was taken out of the land of the living. And for the transgression of my people was he smitten. And he, was made, he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit found in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He had put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his mouth. He shall see the travail of his soul, and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquity. The Journal for the American Medical Association, they probably wouldn't write it now, but back in 1986 they described the death by crucifixion. They said Jesus of Nazareth underwent Jewish and Roman trials, was flogged and then sentenced to death. The scourging produced deep stripe-like lacerations and appreciable blood loss, and it probably set the stage for hypovolemic shock as evidenced by the fact that Jesus was too weak to carry that cross beam himself, that patibulum of the cross, at the side of the crucifixion. His wrists were nailed to the patibulum, and after that, that crossbar, it was lifted onto the upright called stipes. His feet were nailed to the stripes or stipes. The major pathophysiologic defect of crucifixion was an interference with normal respirations. In layman's language, as he hung there, he would sag on the cross 
And as he had strength, he would lift himself up. But then weakened by the loss of blood, he would sag there, unable to breathe. Accordingly, they said, death resulted primarily from hypovolemic shock and exhaustion asphyxia. Jesus' death was assured by the thrust of a soldier's spear into his side. Modern medical interpretation of the historical evidence indicates that Jesus was dead when he was taken down from the cross. And so if you see on the face of it, there was nothing desirable. There was nothing attractive about the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. Yet Jesus said, And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. How could Jesus say that about such a horrific, repulsive, and violent death? What is it about the crucifixion that had such a magnetic pull that it would draw all men to him. And you have to ask historically, did it happen? Did Jesus' prophecy come true? He died in humiliation, shame, disgrace, alone. Yet after his resurrection, at the birth of the church, this prophecy did come true. On that very first day of the church, there was added unto them about 3,000 souls who were drawn to what Jesus did on the cross and in the grave and by His resurrection. By Acts chapter 5, multitudes of believers were added unto the Lord. And in that same chapter, they had filled Jerusalem with their doctrine. By Acts chapter 6, the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. In its early centuries, it is estimated that by 350 A.D. that Christianity had grown to over 30 million followers. And today, over 2,000 years later, Christianity has grown from that tiny community of disciples and all those that abandoned Him and fled into the night that worldwide over 2 billion people say that they are followers of Jesus. So I will tell you, if He was lifted up from the earth, He has drawn all men unto Him. So weakness and death are not attractive. But what was? What was the attraction of the cross? Jesus said in John 15, 13, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Throughout history, many men and women have sacrificed their lives for the lives of others. Like the men and women who gave their lives in the service of our country. Like the first responders who without a second thought died that others might live. On September 11, 2001, 
Hard to believe that it's almost two decades ago now. 2,977 people lost their lives on the attacks on our country, notoriously known as 9-11. But not everyone lost their lives. Some laid down their lives. Many of the survivors owe their lives to the heroism of the first responders and also ordinary citizens. Wells Crowther was a 24-year-old equities trader at Sandler O'Neill and Partners. He worked on the 104th story of the South Tower. A few minutes after United Airlines Flight 175 struck the South Tower, he called his mom and said, Mom, this is Wells. I want you to know that I'm okay. A few minutes after that call, 24-year-old Wells, who in his teenage years was a volunteer firefighter, made his way down to the 78th floor to a sky lobby, and he became a hero to total strangers. He was known by them as the man in the red bandana. Amid the smoke and chaos and the debris, Crowther helped injured and disoriented office workers to safety, risking his own life in the process. Though they couldn't see much through the haze and the smoke, they saw this tall figure with that red bandana and they remembered him. He was trying to protect himself, his lungs and his mouth. He'd come there to try to get people down to the ground floor. They said that he had a strong authoritative voice. He tried to get survivors to go down the stairway. He encouraged them to help others. He carried an injured lady on his back. And when he finally got down to safety, he headed back up to help more people. He's credited with saving over a dozen people that day. His body was later recovered alongside firefighters in a stairwell heading back up the tower to save another life. Wells lived out the sacrifice that Jesus spoke of when he said, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man laid down his life for his friends. Wells and heroes like him are worthy of honor. But the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross rises to another level of love. Paul would write about this in Romans chapter 5, beginning at verse 6. For when we were without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man one will die. Yet peradventure for a good man... Some would even dare to die. But God commended or demonstrated His love toward us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were unlovable, unworthy, despicable, and separated from God by our sins, He loved us. Jesus was sinless and we were sinners. He was innocent. And we were guilty. He was worthy. And we were undeserving. You see the cross was not only an act of sacrifice. It was an act of salvation. That Jesus willingly offered himself once. For all people. For all times. Paul wrote that God was in Christ. Reconciling the world unto himself. Jesus spoke of this in John 3. And as Moses 
lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. Even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God so loved the world, that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. Paul wrote of this when he said that God, that Jesus Christ being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and was made in the likeness, excuse me, but took upon himself the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of man. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Jesus would speak of this, that the Son of Man did not come to be ministered to, but to minister and to give His life as a ransom. You see, we needed a Savior. We needed the unconditional love that only God could provide. And Jesus came and He died on the cross and He gave Himself for our sins. Romans 3.23, here's how we were. For all of sin, all, and come short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23 For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans 5.8 again, but God demonstrated or commended His love toward us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died Never forget that love is the most powerful force in the world. That God is love. And when nothing else could reach us, God reached down to us and loved us enough to die for us. And when you cannot reach anyone else in your life, never forget that love is the most powerful force in the world. I was reminded as I prepared for this message of the story of Carl Adams. Brother and Sister Adams were missionaries to the Philippine Islands. They left North America, traveled the 8,000 miles. When they got there to reach the Filipino people with the gospel, they were not well received. Those North Americans were not really their people and how did they know? That, how did the Filipinos know that the Adams cared for them at all? Brother Adams told me one day in a private conversation that he had done everything he could and nothing seemed to break through to those people. But there was a time when he decided he needed to travel around the country. So he got in his car. He traveled from city to city. Of course, the Philippine Islands is made of many islands. He slept in his car he preached to those people. And he told me that after that time, that something changed when they realized that he really, genuinely loved them and was willing to sacrifice for them. One of the most difficult things that we all face is the feeling that we are not really lovable. That there's nothing redeemable about us. And why would someone like him Love someone like us. 
But God demonstrated his love toward us and that while we were still sinners, he died for us. So it doesn't matter how you see yourself today. What matters is how he sees you. It's not what you think you're worth. It's what he saw that you were worth. The true value of any item to be sold is not what you think it's worth, but it is the price that someone is willing to pay. And you must have been worth a lot. That he would sacrifice his life for you. Would you bow your heads right now? I thank you, Lord, today that when we were unworthy, Lord, you were not unwilling to die in our place on the cross. Fundamentally, Lord, this is the heart of our salvation and why you came. Lord, we realize that there is a lost world. There is a world that is alienated from you. A world that is filled with hatred. That is rooted in the feeling that people are worthless and unlovable. But today I stand on your word. I speak, Lord, into this audience, into our online audience. And I speak, O oh Lord God, into the atmosphere of our culture. That you loved us so much that you came to us and died for us. And there is none of us, Lord, who are beyond the reach of Calvary. I pray, Lord, today that you would forgive sins. That you would heal broken hearts. That you would restore relationships, oh God. I pray in Jesus' name that your love would reach to that person that is struggling today. And that you would save someone in this house today in Jesus' name. And everyone said amen. Now you have listened to me preach. And you have listened to me pray. But I think it would be good if we all lifted our voices and prayed now. You may remember I said it according to the Bible. That the two thieves, one on either side of Jesus, they cast the same in his teeth, the Bible says. But one of them must have had a change of mind. He spoke across Jesus to the other criminal. He said, we deserve to die like this. But this man has done no evil. He doesn't deserve to die. And in his dying moments, he really begged of Jesus. Will you remember me when you come into your kingdom? And this man that had lived as a thief, who was dying as a thief, who had never given an offering, he would never participate in ministry. For all practical purposes, he was a zero. He had nothing to offer God. 
But all he had was a prayer. That was all he needed. And Jesus said, this day shall you be with me in paradise. So when you feel you have nothing to offer him but a prayer, a prayer is enough.